is the Film Director's Craft, and it is a discussion about really hands-on filmmaking techniques with current filmmakers. And I have Craig Johnson to discuss things with today, and I'm completely thrilled about that because part of the purpose of this is to talk to people who both really make wonderful work, but also who have a nice, healthy onset technique and and I got to work on one of Craig's first films in film school so I can verify that he does really nice healthy collaborative work with his actors and his crew and so on so I'm excited to talk about it and thank you so much for agreeing to talk about your craft a little bit my pleasure so I will give a little bit of background in case anyone who listens to this doesn't know Craig's work because it is absolutely fantastic um you directed films including True Adolescence with Mark Duplass and The Skeleton Twins with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig and Wilson with Woody Harrelson and Laura Dern and Judy Greer is always fantastic. Uh, you also did Alex Strangelove for Netflix which is a sort of queer themed very sweet coming of age comedy. Your films tend to be really funny but also sort of heartfelt and they deal a lot with people who feel like outsiders who are trying to figure out their identity and many of them are queer themed a number of them are in one way or another coming of age although not all of your work is I would you know arguably Wilson which is delightful is about an adult figuring out how to be an adult so those are some of uh, Craig's themes they're fantastic and all worth seeing so I hope people will check them out and I'm going to ask him in a little bit about his new project I want to hear about that too. But thank you again for being willing to just talk about how you make your films, because I would be happy to spend the whole time talking about the content, but that <laughs> is what most people generally get asked. And I actually want to get into the nerdy stuff about how you make stuff that is really useful, I think, for young filmmakers and doesn't get asked as often. So uh, let me just jump right in, if that's okay. Yeah, bring it on. Awesome. So uh, you write some of your own stuff. Sometimes, as in the case of some of your TV directing work, um, you did Minx, I know, which I love. It's a great show and Gossip Girl and special. But you also sometimes just direct other screenwriters' work, even in features like Daniel Klaus, who's, who's a fantastic screenwriter. But at a certain point, you put on your director's hat, right? And you start really thinking about the film like a director and getting into that headspace as opposed to, you know, when you're trying to finance or whatever. So when you do that, what are some of the tools you find that are useful for just like getting into thinking about it from that perspective? Maybe like, do you collect images? Do you listen to the script? Like, what do you do that's helpful to you? Well, a, a big part of the process is getting to the point where you feel like, okay, this movie is actually going to happen. And it's usually years <laughs> uh, from when you first either wrote the script or maybe even encountered the script. You know, if, if it's something I didn't write, if it's something I was sent uh, by producers or studio, there's this whole process of reading it, just getting excited about the story. And then it's like, so what's the plan? And usually it takes a long time. I try not to... I mean, I can't help it, but I start thinking about how I would I would direct it. But I, I, in the hopes of not getting heartbroken because so many projects fall apart, I usually don't start thinking about it too much uh, until it starts looking like it's really going to happen. 
Um, and that's just self-preservation because the film industry is brutal. Uh, movies that even feel like they're going to happen can fall apart at any stage of the game. And, you know, the old, the old saying is, is like, we're not making this movie until I'm on set day one actually directing it. And then sometimes that can fall apart. That, that would be a real, that would be a big disaster. But, but anyway, um, when I'm ready to, to just kind of start thinking about it as a director, I will just read through the script and, and do something just very simple, which is just try to see it playing as a movie. I, I, I just try to, it's literally vision, you know, your vision for it. You know, what am I watching? If I'm sitting there and watching the movie and immediately things come to mind, shots come to mind, you know, where we might cut, you know, where part of the script might go away, you know, um, how I might direct something. Oh, wow, this could really play out in a, in a, in a one with a steady cam like that would file that in the back of my brain and everything is like valid at this point. It's just kind of like, just my, my kind of brain firing with ideas. Sometimes I'll jot notes, sometimes I'll just read it and just kind of try to really see it. And then um, the, I'll definitely do more of like a read through and just jot a bunch of notes down. Sometimes I'll print out the script and write down thoughts. Sometimes I'll just keep a notes document of, of you know, how I'm starting to see things. But, but, but generally, you know, once I do that first initial read through, even if I don't jot down one thing, things start firing, it starts getting solidified in my head. And then I'm just like, all right, now let the collaboration begin. Like, let's start putting together the team, you know, the department heads, um, actors, actors, actors. I'm obviously, if it, sometimes there's actors attached when a project comes to me. That's one of the first steps is really thinking about who these actors could be. Um, and uh, and and then, um, well, yeah, that's that's stage one. That's, yeah, that's, that's stage one. Okay, so let me ask about the creative team first because I find this really interesting. So we're talking about the DP. We're talking about you know production design, costume design. What are you looking for when you start talking to people about those roles? And in particular, I'm wondering, do you have an example of a time where you had a meeting with somebody and you were like, oh, they were definitely the right person for this? because they brought this to it? I mean, uh, I, I mean, the short answer is, is yes. Like I go very, very, very intuitively. you know, I like to, when I meet with department heads, even if I have in my brain, like this is the person, I tend to meet with like three, four, five others just to kind of do some comparing and contrasting. And sometimes I'm surprised somebody, sometimes someone will come out of the woodwork that I was like, oh my gosh, wow, no, this is, this is the person. Um, I look for not only just kind of an understanding of the script from a story perspective and character perspective, but just a vibe, just a mood and a vibe, you know, certainly like with a production designer. Um, I just did a movie that uh, the movie I just shot is this big horror comedy for a studio. And because it was a weird genre mashup, tone was really important. So when I was talking to department heads, I was looking for people that just kind of got the tone, you know? I'm looking for people often who have a sense of humor, kind of no matter what I do. I, I would say almost everything I do has a comedic element to it, even though there's a lot of drama. Like I, I, I look for funny people as my department heads. I look for funny people often in my actors. I love actors that come from a comedy background, even if it's drama. Um, and, and then, so, so, uh, so this horror comedy I just did, we were bringing it, you know, talking to production designers and people would come in with all these kind of like photo real, you know, photographs that were like torn from catalogs. And here's what the inside all kind of takes place in one sort of house, like a haunted house movie and what, what the house could be, what the house could be. And then I talked to this one guy who just brought in just sort of hysterical images of like, 
you know, it takes place during a snowstorm. And one of them was the snowman, a painting of a snowman on fire in front of this weird house. And another uh, ones were just like funny things from the eighties. There's a sequence that takes place in the eighties. And it was just so much more of a vibe feeling and a sense of humor to it that I was like, this is the guy, like he just gets the vibe, you know? Yeah. I know he can build a haunted house. He's done, a, has a lot of great credits. Like I want someone who gets the sense of humor of it, who gets the quirkiness of it. Um, and, and probably so, the more precise your tone, the more that becomes like really critical that somebody is operating in the same movie that you are. Yeah, very much so. That yeah. totally makes sense. So let me ask about casting then, um, similar to vibe. Uh, there, I feel like, with a lot of the films, you know, that I've had experience with, there's kind of two sets of casting, which maybe not everyone knows. There's the offers where you aren't necessarily auditioning somebody, they're a well-known talent. Uh, and so you're having a discussion with them. And then there are the people you're actually in the room with, you know, you're seeing five different grocery cashiers or whatever. So let's talk about the, the grocery cashier style one, where it's a smaller role. They're not the super name talent who may have come already attached. Um, is there something, anything you do when you're auditioning people just to like make them more comfortable in the room, like to establish that it's a comedy? Do you have any techniques? You may not, but, but you know, do you have a way that you like to have those those sort of Gosh, it is such an in and out process. It really can be in an assembly line um, for especially when we start getting into these smaller roles. You know, now in the in the age of COVID too, for better or worse, almost all of these are now over Zoom and and kind of um, self tapes that come in. So so often for when you get these smaller roles, your casting director will like just put up a link and here are the ten people that read for the cashier and here are the ten people that and then um, often the the, the key with those is is when they I can almost tell instantly off the read like oh this is the person and also I think a key to casting these smaller roles is you're looking for somebody even if it's one line that is just bringing a perspective on it is just twisting things in a unique way or in a different way because you're assembling a whole uh, puzzle you're not just casting one role it's like a larger canvas that, you, that you're painting and so you think about who your other small roles are you think about who that person is interacting with in the scene and that affects it you're thinking about certain you know degrees of diversity and all that kind of stuff as well so so you're really trying to think big picture but when it comes to these like if somebody's there and they've just got off oh, these poor actors my heart goes out to actors you know they they're going to show up and um they're going to just literally have you know there's this great show the other two um i don't know if you know it but um one of the character or act, characters is a struggling actor. And I think the first time you see him, he's like, hello, my name is Jim and I will be reading for a man who farts at party. <laughs> and that's exactly what it's like for these. For these I think your them. point there, if, if any actors hear it is, is make a choice, which I feel the same way about that. You know, I, I always respect somebody who's like, I came in, I went with this. I think this is right, you know? And that's sort of more fun than than somebody who, who tries to exactly up. play to the middle and, and you're not sure what they feel yeah. about the role at all, so. Exactly. I always come in with a perspective on it. I always come in with just sort of a unique twist. It might not be what I'm looking for, but that's up to the, to the gods, who knows? So that's super helpful. How about uh, if you have to have a conversation, which I've had to do with like a name actor for a role and 
how do you sort of prepare for a conversation where you know that they have a lot of experience, they may be fantastic, you have some experience too, but, but are you looking for sort of, I'm sure it's all of it, but are you looking for how well do I get along with them? Are we seeing the same movie in our head? Are you pitching the story? Like, how do you think about those kinds of discussions? All of the above, what you, what you just said. If you, if you get to the point where you are meeting with an actor, they've, they've usually read the script and they usually are interested in it on some level. Like that's why you're meeting. Often if it gets to the point of when you're meeting, you're hopefully in a seal the deal kind of situation, you know, you're meeting because you are, it's a date, it's a date. And, and you, so you're really looking at chemistry. You're looking if you're vibing personally, but I'm certainly looking for what their read is on the character as well. And if it isn't exactly aligned with mine, hopefully then we can start a conversation and find some kind of middle ground and uh, then, then, you know, be off to the races. That's awesome. So, uh, how about, uh, do you do any kind of rehearsal? And this is very much a dependent on the project and budget kind of question, but before you get to the shoot, have you had the opportunity to do that? And if so, what do you find useful to do? It is a case by case situation. Um, every movie sort of dictates a little bit of its own kind of method. Uh, I usually don't rehearse, um, usually for various reasons. Sometimes it's just time. Usually you don't have time. Usually the don't, you don't get actors until right, right before, especially if they're actors you've heard of. Um, but for example, in my very, very first film, this movie called True Adolescence, which was my uh, thesis film for film school, actually. Rachel and I went to film school together. Um, I knew that two of the leads, there were sort of three leads, one was Mark Duplass, uh, but, but the other two were, were 14 year old kids. Uh, and I knew, and it was about sort of Mark Duplass takes these kids on a hike and they get lost in the woods and it becomes a sort of funny male bonding thing. And I knew that I want, and these two kids are supposed to be best friends. I wanted to have like a week with the kids and Mark prior to shooting for us just to kind of hang out. Um, and we did that. We, the kids showed up, we shot in Washington state. We all went on a hike together. We all just started, you know, we kind of rehearsed some of the scenes in a park and, and this was less for like, let's rehearse and block the scenes and more for just like, let's get used to each other. And let's get these two, you know, these two young guys to get to know each other. They're supposed to be best friends. They'd never met each other before. Um, and then also so they could connect with Mark and bond with Mark because Mark really ends up being sort of a, you know, older brother, father figure in, in the movie. So rehearsal was critical for, for that one. Um, God, Skeleton Twins, Wilson, Alex Strangelove, no. Uh, th this last one really was what there wasn't rehearsal. There's always conversations I have with the actors. Um, always, always, always. We'll sit down. I want to, we will go through the script. Sometimes I'll go through the script with the whole cast if we can get them around. This last one was a studio movie. So we did a whole Zoom read through of the script for the studio, which is sort of a studio movie thing, you know? Huh. Um, yes, 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 yes. And, and that, you know, that's just so the studio ads can kind of weigh in last minute on often script stuff or, you know, um, or, or if they, you know, have thoughts on, on the actors we've already cast. There's not much you can do at that point because we're yeah. not ready to shoot. <laughs> That's really interesting. All right, so let's let's move on to production then. Uh, so uh, the answer for me to this question would be no, but I'm curious if you have anything. Um, 
when you're one of the things I'm interested in about film directing is it's a leadership role. And I feel like we didn't get MBAs and we got very little training on how to actually be good leaders. And sometimes I think that's a, a gap in, in the way that film directors are trained. So I'm going to just ask some sort of, you know, how do you think about setting the tone on the set for pulling everyone in the same direction? Is there something you do on the first day? Do you introduce yourself to the crew? Like, how do you sort of establish, hey, we're here, we're making a thing. And this is, you know, our, our goal is to work together on it and, and create that atmosphere. The, the shortest answer is you just have to have the intuitive personality for that. I, my joke is, is at film school, they should teach you how to, yes, have direct movies and have a vision and know how to move the camera and work with actors. But what they don't tend to teach you and what you need to, a skill set I think a director needs to have is, how to marshal an army, right? How to be a therapist, uh, how to be a diplomat, how to be sometimes like a hostage negotiator. Like I, you, you know, there, I went, there were 36 people in our individual film classes. And I would say, you know, I don't know if it's the same for your class, Rachel, but there's only a handful of people per class usually that, that, that direct feature films and continue to do a direct TV even, or have, you know, make, and that's not because oh, NYU made a bad choice in who they, but it's just that the skill set it takes to be a director, vision is only a tiny part of it. I would say that most of my classmates have every bit as much of a vision, and, and some of them are certainly more talented and have a better, more interesting vision than I do, but they don't necessarily have the skill set it takes to do exactly what you're talking about, be on set, set a tone, um, to get into that nitty gritty, uh, I uh, identify as amiable uh, and collaborative. And so I just try to plunge right in from, from day one. And it starts even before your first day on set, you know, in pre-production, in the production meeting. I try to approach things with a little bit of a lightness of touch, a little bit of a sense of humor. I do not micromanage that I hire department heads that I feel confident in and I let them do their thing. I let them do their thing. Um, and I think everybody appreciates that. I think a micromanaging director is not a, a good director um, and because and tends to be that old school kind of control freaky thing. You know, you, you, you do need to be a leader type personality and you knew, do need to be a control freak to a certain degree or like, you know, want to drive a vision at least. But, but you can't, um, you're never go relinquishing control is actually a better skill for a director than wanting to have ultimate control. Relinquishing control to your department heads, relinquishing control to your actors, you know, yeah. like taking in what your actors bring to you. I, I just worked with this wonderful actor we've, we've all heard of uh, who um, uh, came in with a very different take on the character um, once, we, once we hired her. And at first I was a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure about this, but once I realized like, this was her take, I'm not gonna be able to kind of swing her kind of out of this. I was like, I'm gonna embrace this take and let's just make this the best version of this as we can. And now that I'm editing the movie, I love the character. The character is one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. Um, and I think it was that relinquishing control to the actor to kind of trust her instincts um, and, and her read on the character. Uh, and it just, it paid off in spades. That's fascinating, actually, because I was going to ask, I, I will get in a sec just to directing actor questions, but I also think I wonder if there's a bit about 
schedule, like it seems to me during pre-production is the time to have really robust conversations with people creatively. And then during the shoot, you do have to give them space too. It's probably if you want that kind of if you have a micromanaging tendency, maybe it's best to do that, the micromanaging before the shoot, you know what I mean? To like really sit down and creatively talk through if you want every costume approval and every, you know what I mean? To really make sure that's happening beforehand and, and so you don't have to do it on set and, you know. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, movies are made in pre-production is the old, that, that is completely true. Um, and you have to be there you know, in a really intense creative approval capacity there in, in pre-production. You're driving the overall vision. You have your thoughts and opinions about things. And before you know it, when you guys are, I mean, when it's on, when pre-production is on, you are flooded with thousands of questions each day from all. And you have to be able to sometimes make quick decisions or be able to, you know, if you don't know, you know, you'll be like, hmm, unclear, give me one minute. Uh, and then you figure it out eventually. But, but uh, you have to be able to, I don't like the word multitask. I, I, I don't, I'm not a multitasker. I'm not sure I even believe that exists as a thing. And it's not a good skill set for a director. Um, and also being easily distracted is not, not, a great, not a great characteristic for a director. Being absolutely laser focused and singularly focused is a good skill set, but then being able to shift quickly and then singularly focus here, singularly focus there, singularly focus over here, singularly give this person all your attention, give this person all your attention, give this person, but then I'd be able to kind of bounce around, you know, um, because, you know, your job is also making every single person that you're working with feel like their job is the most important on set. Uh, sometimes it's true, their job, and maybe in the minute you're talking to them, it is the most important thing that has to be, be dealt with. But, but, but that's really the attitude the director should have is that each person, their job is the most important on set. And because that's how they're operating. They have to operate that way. Uh, otherwise, they'd be bad at, at their jobs, you know. That's, that's a good thing. Like make the person you're talking to feel like you're, you're laser focused on, on the way they're seeing the problem and so that's on. Right. That's, that's right. That's actually, that's probably actually very good. And treat it seriously. Skill. And sometimes you get, you know, you might get your custom designer running up to you in a frizzy about certain buttons and the back of your mind is like, I don't give a shit about the buttons. Like the buttons look fine, but you go in and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. No, your instinct to go with the purple is, is in the, and the larger size is much, much better. And then, you know, it's uh, that, that matters that every little bit counts. It creates this sort of ultimate vision, um, you know, and, and it is a big deal to the costume designer. I don't mean to throw a costume designer under the bus. It could be the direct, you know, it could be the DP, yeah. it could be any, anyone, but, but. Yeah. So let me ask about, about actors and choices and get back to that. Cause I think that's a really interesting point. And one, one, thing I'm always curious about is, you know, sometimes you have actors who are great actors who come in with a really interesting choice that may be really deeply thought through or whatever, but isn't quite right for what you think is the story you ought to be telling. In that yeah. case, assuming you can steer them, uh, do you, do you, are you upfront? Are you like, hey, this is a great choice, but the story I I'm telling actually needs your character to be more vulnerable. Do you, are you that explicit or do you just try to be like, let's try this other thing and, and just guide them. Yeah, I've been in this position a couple times. I've been in this position with lead roles before. And it's a little more the latter. 
it's a little more like because because they've done work on whatever take they're they're bringing to it. Actors are very smart and they're very intuitive and they can pick up instantly. So if they come in to you and they kind of do a take, they are hanging on your every little reaction and they can tell if my thing if my reaction is a little bit like wow okay that what an interesting take immediately they know you know you can't hide i'm not a good enough actor myself to be able to kind of fully hide and 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 sometimes i'll be be up front it's like you know just just like that is a slightly left of center point of view on it um it's really interesting i you know it when you read the character on the page it, it maybe feels more like xyz i remember doing there was a there was a character and the actor came in um with a very different take on it and i was and i was like and i was like that's so interesting you know one of the reasons i wanted to do this movie is that this character reminds me of my dad uh, and I started doing impressions of my dad. And I just in my own, you know, I was a theater major. I'm not the, I'm not Meryl Streep, but, but, but like I can kind of get in there and do the acting thing when I need to. <clears throat> and when I just found myself sort of doing, even just talking in my dad's voice, this is how my dad talks. And I wasn't explicitly saying this is how you should do the role, but the actor, I could just was soaking that in, soaking that in and kind of soaking in my body language and kind of the way I was you know, using my voice. And it was sort of like giving a read on the character without giving a read on the character, but 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 the actor without it, without us ever acknowledging it, just kind of absorbed. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me think about that. And then came in on day one and the character was just right there. So much more in line with how I saw it. And, you know, also kind of uh, had elements of my dad in him. <laughs> That's a fantastic way to handle that. That's a great example. Uh, let me ask the other actor question that I think sometimes comes up is for say a smaller role, a less experienced actor, you've cast someone, their read was great. Maybe they're, they, you know, they sent tape that was great and then they get to set. They're acting opposite somebody potentially really famous. They suddenly freeze up. You know, how do you do you have any like go to things that you use to get people who are are suddenly not connected? Yeah, this happens all the time. Um, you there, there's many tools in, in the toolbox and they're just so specific to what's going on, you know. Um, you know, often you'll get you'll get someone who freezes and they're just giving the same line reading and, and you try to adjust them. You try to get something different. It's just the same thing, just the same thing. You can't do it. I tend to get like, okay, I, I just have to, often you don't, actors will go too big, but in this case, I, I had this recently, an actor was just not giving me much of anything at all and couldn't adjust. So then I was just like, all right, in this next one, you are murderously angry, furious. You are so pissed. It's like they just shot your dog in front of you, scream and yell at them. And I got something slightly more than the read, but it was enough, right? It was, yeah. It, it was enough that, okay, that's that worked. Like it needed to go to that extreme. Um, you know, if an actor is really doing big stuff, God, there's so many simple little things, literally asking them to do it quieter, you know? On this one, deliver the line as if it's a secret, you know? Oh, okay. 
And when, 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 when what I want them to do is, oh my God, stop making it a giant cartoon. This is horrible. That's what I want to say to them. And you can never give direction. You shouldn't give direction that's results oriented. You should always give it something a little more active, you know, and active can be say the line quieter, <laughs> you know, yeah. or it could be like, deliver like you're delivering an intimate secret. And then what ends up happening is, oh, okay, they're, they're, they're not thinking, they're thinking about being an intimate secret. And then suddenly it's, ah, oh, finally, now it's down to earth. It's not a giant cartoonish and they've changed it from thinking about the other person to thinking about the performance that's that's right that's exactly right it's it's about it's you go back to i was a theater major and and, you know directed plays and things like that it was always give the actors active active playable actions action driven stuff you know uh seduce him in this next take um uh you know you're in this next take, you're a panther trying to find their dinner, you know. As ifs and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. probably very classic. helpful. Any, I, I think your acting experience is probably very helpful in knowing sort of what to do and not to do as it's, well. It, it is probably the reason I'm a director. I am telling you, if you want to be a director and you have not acted yourself or even take, or taken acting classes or something, you must do it. You must, must, must. You must know what it's like to be up in front of people. You must know what it's like to be directed. You must know what it's like to, to have to put yourself out there. If anything, it gives you utter respect for these actors who, who are just putting themselves out there. You know, they are naked there, sometimes literally, you know, on camera. And, and you have to know how to talk to them in ways that are not going to short circuit them or ways that are not going to, you know, there's a neediness that most actors, all actors have, understandably, because they're putting themselves out there in such a raw way. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and very true. I think, especially just, you know, do some acting so you know, you know how hard it is what people are doing. And and I've never understood actor or directors that are intimidated by actors. You hear this all the time. A lot of actors that work in television complain about the directors. They only care about the camera. They don't know how to talk to actors. And it's like, or they don't like actors. I've talked to a couple of directors who are like, oh, I just don't like actors. And I'm like, why the hell are you doing this then? That's all you do. That's your main job is working with actors. And I happen to really love actors. They get on my nerves sometimes, but like, I love the personalities. I love the, the bit, you know, the sort of uh, grabbing life by the rain. You know, they, a lot of actors have that. And I, I, I like, I relate to it. I wanted to be an actor for forever. So, yeah. Well, that's also one of the reasons I, I created this sort of discussion was because I feel like sometimes people do get panicked and are just don't know, you know, how to approach actors. And the more we talk about what, the directors do the more useful to be like oh okay that's something I can try as opposed to panicking if something's going wrong so speaking of going wrong uh, uh one of the big challenges on set is how do you stay creative when you maybe you went in with your dp to a location and you scouted it and you were like she's going to walk in from here and we're going to get the sunlight from the, you know what I mean and then you get there and it's rainy and the actor wants to sit not stand or or you know, or whatever. And so you have to completely throw out the plan. Do you have a kind of philosophy for how you handle little, little and big crises as they come up? Um, It happens every day on set, every day. There's something like that. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's little. I believe in when you go in with a blocking plan for a scene, or you go in with a shot list. I, and I do believe in making shot lists in, in pre-production. I do believe in kind of really talking through each scene with your DP. 
it, but with a certain amount of looseness and openness, um, knowing that things are going to change the second you get the real actors there. And if you didn't rehearse, and the second you start blocking out the scene, the actors are gonna wanna do something different or they're gonna be like, you know what, I need to hold this frying pan and I would need to be over by the oven if I'm doing this. And you're like, you have to know intuitively like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of natural sense. You know, I, the blocking comes from the characters and the actors are gonna bring something to that. So you can have your basic blueprint of how you want to, that you've talked with your DP and a good DP will be able to be nimble and adjust because it'll always change once you block the scene out, you know, a little bit. And that'll change your shot list and that'll change your, the way you do it. And often it's kind of for the better, you know? Because yeah. um, they, they know what the character's head is better than you do at that point. They absolutely do. Uh, you know, and there's this, there's this one huge scene in this movie I just shot. It's like a 12 page dialogue scene that was all supposed to be just sitting at a, sitting at a kitchen table. You know, it's sort of, sort of the scene you know, well, I'll, I'll say it's it, her, it's um, Parker Posey uh, was was the actor. And the whole scene is 12 pages of just this conversation at a table with her and two people. And when we started talking about it, Parker, who is wildly, wonderfully creative and comes in with a thousand different incredible ideas, just had a whole blocking, but she was not gonna be at that table. She was gonna be moving through the house and in the kitchen and crossing from here to there. And my DP and I are like, oh my God, how are we gonna shoot? Because every time you're blocking, you're changing eye lines, that's new setups, it's a whole thing, it just expands your day. And, you know, I think we maybe whittled it down a little bit from what Parker ultimately wanted to do, but, oh my God, the scene is so alive now and it's so much better due to, and everything that Parker wanted to do, Black and White was motivated. It was all motivated by what the character was going through at the moment. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's, a it's one of the benefits of having a very seasoned actor um, that you're working with, so. It's that they have an intuitive sense of, of bringing really good stuff. Which exactly, exactly. So this is a kind of obscure question a little bit, but is there anything from film school, which we did together, or just from your perception that you thought directing was, that you realized it was not, like something you had to unlearn or that you were taught to do that you decided you didn't want to do? Do you know what I mean? I always feel like storyboarding was like that for me, where I ended up being like, you know, I'm not a storyboarder really for most <laughs> projects, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've learned that I, um, storyboard is helpful for very specific scenes, usually um, action sequences, montages that are very shot driven, but the, I, I tend to do that. I, I've, I've probably storyboarded maybe one scene on each movie. This last movie I did, which had, way more sort of, you know, action and kind of big finale. And yeah, if you have a car wreck, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, exactly. So so I, we did much more storyboarding on this last movie I did than I'd ever, ever done before. And it was so helpful. Like we actually had in a few sequences, the storyboards while I was shooting just up on this huge board on set that we just crossed them off as we went through. And it was so, so, so helpful to do. Um, gosh. You know, I remember doing a short film. I think it was with the one. Did you work on my my one uh, that I acted in? Yes. Uh, that was, yes. yes, I did. It was great. About the couple coming back from Hawaii. Yes, and the snow globe. I remember. And the snow globe. Yeah. Yes, funny enough, there's a snow globe in my new movie. Uh, and it's the first time I've used the snow globe since that one. So um, I was acting in the short film that Rachel worked on a thousand years ago when we were in film school. And, but I was also directing 
And I remember at one point I wanted sort of an emotional read from an actor. So here I was kind of in character, but also directing. And so I started speaking to her from the character and I kind of started doing this whole big emotional improvisation scene. And I remember <laughs> she, she was sort of freaked out by it because it was a little kind of weird and methody and didn't really give me what I was looking for. And I was like, oh, that didn't work. And I realized like whatever I was doing, which was really spontaneous at the time, was just a little too, uh, it, it freaked out the actor more than, more than helped them. It was a little too coming from some weird methody. Like I was trying to get them emotional. You know, I, I, you know I'm, not, I'm not a manipulative director. I wouldn't pull someone aside and say, you know, you need to think right now about the most horrific thing that's ever happened to you. And if nothing bad has happened to you, invent something. That's what I want you, you know, I just don't, I don't want to fuck with people in that sense or screw with their, their minds, you know. Uh, if uh, emotion is authentic and it's, if, it's, if you're doing an emotional scene, hopefully the actor's prepared a little bit and, and you can get there. You know, and you can get there usually just by simply, simply just letting them go, giving them the space for it. Um, you know, reminding them what the stakes are of the actual scene rather than some deep psychological thing. So whatever I was doing on set at that time, I'm not even sure I knew what I was doing. Uh, it felt a little too weird and manipulative. That's actually, no, that's a really great point. And the, as you said, the stakes, if you can be really precise about the stakes, because if if there are no stakes, it's actually a script problem, right? So I mean, it is, yeah. Uh, I cannot tell you. I, I I have learned if you do not go in to your movie with a really solid script that really holds water and the scaffolding is there, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just it needs to be there structurally you are just gonna be in great shape. If there, if you're not feeling good about the script, if, it, if it's rushed, your life will be hell. It'll be hell on set. It'll be hell in the edit. It, you, you'll just constantly be trying to like plug holes in this like dike that's breaking, you know, rather than making this thing that movies are hard to make with the best script. And even at the best script, you're still ugh, fixing problems that happened and things you didn't get on set and stuff. But, oh my God, at least you've got the scaffolding. So. I know, you know, going in with a solid script is is just worth its weight. I, I, I we uh, this movie I just did, I did feel had such a great script and and it's just paying off dividends now that we're, we're editing. We're, we don't have some of the major problems that you have, you know, if the script isn't quite working. Yeah, you, so. the structure is there for the story. So yeah. let me ask about editing then and we'll we'll talk a little bit about post. Um, one of the challenges in editing, you usually, you know, you're working with an editor and they're bringing you stuff and you're responding, but you also have to watch your own movie over and over again and try to see it like an audience member sitting down for the first time. So do you have any strategies you use for clearing your head and coming to it fresh every time you watch a scene or a segment? Yeah, it it's, it's literally impossible to do that. Like you, you almost have to unburden yourself from that and just sort of, you know, when you're editing, you are tinkering in, kind of doing, you need to remind yourself that this is a big picture thing and you need to remind yourself, it's very easy to get into like 
you know, fine cutting and pacing cutting because it's so satisfying to like pace up a scene or to land a joke. And you got to do all that stuff too. But but one of the first passes, first few passes, your first, you know, month or two in the edit, you need to be making, be sitting back and saying like, are the character arcs working? You know, are the characters working as a whole? Are, is there a larger thematic thing that's happening? Are, are we feeling anything? If we're not feeling something, why not? You know, story, story stuff uh, here and there. Um, inevitably you will get sort of lost in the woods and inevitably you just, it will be impossible to tell anymore or see it from the perspective of an audience. Even if you watch back the whole thing and you're like, huh, I think it works. And I highly advocate doing lots of, them, lots of screenings during your edit. Um, small screenings, 10 people maybe, you know, uh, 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 screenings for people that then are not your friends and are not working, that don't work in um, film at all. That's that's major. Do screen, like feedback screenings for, they're, they're the most brutal thing a director goes through. They're very painful because you screen your movie and then you just hear from everybody about what's not working in it but they, they ultimately are very helpful, you know? And, and having like an audience of 30, 40 people who are just moviegoers, you know, it, it can be very, very helpful. I think they take it to an extreme sometimes in the studio system. They put so much stock in these test audiences. They fill out cards and how did your movie rate? And ugh, that can be agonizing. But if you're working at all with like genre, if you're working in comedy, if you're working in horror, I'm doing a comedy horror right now, Putting it in front of an audience is 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 mission critical because you oh they laugh there they didn't laugh there maybe that joke doesn't work you know or they were scared in this point but they were just sort of confused in this other thing that was supposed to be scary like it can be helpful in those those senses but yeah screening for audiences um, that's how you remind yourself what's working and not working in movies yeah let me ask about composers too because I I always find this tricky you know, when you're hiring a composer, it is a very sort of impressionistic thing, right? Um, have you found anything particularly useful in figuring out how somebody is the right person for a project? Is it tonally how they work? Because that it's such a kind of nebulous task in some ways to figure out who's right for a movie that they haven't scored yet. So yeah, that's a great, it's a great question. I mean, I've worked with, um, uh, composer Nathan Larson. Um, he's doing this new movie for me. This will be our third movie. He did Skeleton Twins and Alex Strangelove for me. And so Skeleton Twins was our first one. And he was just, Nathan was just a recommendation from our music supervisor at the time. Um, and he had done a, a number of kind of cool indies and he used to be in a rock band. And um, I, and I just vibed with him as a person. I mean, that's so much of it, who these people are as, as people. If they have some decent credits, you vibe with them as people. And then they just, if they understand the tone of the movie, <clears throat> you know, there's not much more you can get if you've not worked with them before. You know, I'm at a point now where some, this, you know, this is my third movie with Nathan. I know him well. I know how we work together. Um, he's never done a movie like this. He's never done a big, uh, this is a, the movie I'm doing. It's a studio movie. It's, it's, it's genre, horror comedy. And um, Nathan's not done a movie like this before, but I know he can do it. Like, I just know that he's talented enough and he genre hops and he likes these kinds of movies. And so uh, it's, it's going to be, Great. One of, one of the big questions for composer is their relationship to temp music that you put in. Some composers just don't want to hear it at all. Uh, some composers really do want to kind of hear the vibe that you're going for and are good at like doing, you know, separating themselves from it. 
Um, I think you'd have to talk to a composer. Composers, I think, have very complicated relationships with temp score, you know, as they should. That's a that's a really good point, just in terms of, of a working relationship with somebody to know how they feel about that coming in. So uh, let me ask then about your current film that you just finished shooting. I don't know how much you can safely say about it, but <laughs> yeah, I, can you give a sentence or two? Because it sounds yeah, really, sure. really um, fun. Yes, uh, it is a, a comedy horror, and it's about a gay couple who has planned to meet the parents weekend at an upstate uh, New York Airbnb. Um, and unfortunately, when they all arrive there, not only are the parents not getting along, but the Airbnb is haunted by a homophobic poltergeist from hell. So that becomes a problem for them, too. Um, so, uh, and chaos ensues and comedy and horror in equal measure ensue. Uh, it's, it's just been, it was an incredible cast. It's Brian Cox, Edie Falco, Lisa Kudrow, Parker Posey, Dean Norris, Brandon Flynn, Nick Dodani, Vivian Bang. It's a small cast because it's kind of like, you know, seven people trapped in a house over a weekend during a snowstorm kind of kind of movie. The cabin really in the fun. woods, but but cabin in the total, woods. Total spin on that. So yeah, exactly right. Exactly that right. Haunted house movie right. in many ways. So yeah. I will keep an eye out for it. So I can I will let everybody know. Yes, it's supposed to, it, it'll it, it, at very least it'll be uh, released on HBO Max next year. It's um HBO Max New Line Warner Brothers thing uh but I don't know we're we're, we're hoping maybe it goes into theaters. We'll see. We That's know. becoming more and more of a possibility after the last I know. Time. I know. So maybe timing will work out for us. Yay. I hope it does. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was super and, and incredibly helpful. So I'm glad you were willing to get so specific on all of this. My pleasure. Anytime. It's really fun to, to talk about. It's helpful for me to talk about it too, to kind of put this stuff into words. Yeah, and be like, oh, I have a process. <laughs> I do. Yeah, there, there's actually something going on behind all of this. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Sure, sure. Anytime, Rachel. Thanks a lot. 